Okay, Parashat Kitisa. Kitisa. I would like to revisit... Shh. I would like to revisit the story of the Egel Azahab, making the Egel Azahab to give us uh, a little bit of clarity about what, the, uh, what was going on. So the Psukim are here with the Rashi. Just, we'll just do the, the Psukim in Rashi. Bayar ha'am ki boshesh bosheh. Right, boshesh bosheh. Rashi tells us what it means. Rashi says, kitargumo. You see the Rashi? Lashon ichur, lateness. He was late. Zechein, and he quotes several other usages of that word in the Tanakh, or that root for a word in the Tanakh, where the meaning is the same. Sheoto, if you skip to the, to the fourth line, <coughs> no, I'm sorry, Kikish, the second line, the end of the second line in the Rashi, Kikish Allah Moshe Laha, when Moshe went up to the mountain, Amar Lahem the Sofa Abim Yomaniba, Betoch Sheishaot, he said, I'll be here exactly in 40 days. So, whatever time he went up, on the seventh day of Sivan, so they made it, they figured out 40 days that time, 10 o'clock in the morning. He should be there at 10 o'clock in the, 10 o'clock in the morning. Betoch Sheishaot, within, uh, within uh, uh, six hours. Kisfurim heim, shoto yom shalam min haminyanu. They thought that the day he went, when he said 40 days, he meant including the day that he goes up on the mountain. But he meant 40 full days, starting from the day after he went up on the mountain, according to, according to the way Rashi understands it. I meant 20, uh, 40 days of 24-hour days. Not, so you have to exclude the first day, which was less than 24 hours. So, uh, But the day he went up on the mountain was not a 24-hour day, because he went up uh, at 10 o'clock in the morning. So that doesn't count. Uh, he went up on the mountain on the first, seventh day of Sivan, right? You remember that the sixth day of Sivan was the day of Matan, what we call Matan Torah, which is a misnomer. It was the day that B'nai Yisrael uh, participated in the theophany, right? Which is not exactly Matan Torah, but it was the day that proved that there could be Matan Torah. But that, uh, that the actual Torah that they received on that day was minimal. It was just maybe the first two Dibrot of Aseret that they wrote, according to, according to Chazal. So the 40th day, just a curiosity, was Shiva Savitamus. And then Moshe Rabbeinu saw, when he came down the mountain, he saw what was going on, and it took him another 40 days 
took another 40 days in the Machaneh to kill the people who deserved to be killed and clarify what had to be clarified. And that took Moshe Rabbeinu to Rosh Chodesh Elul. 40 days from Shivasa Betamus until uh, uh, after Shivasa Betamus, you got 40 days, you get to Rosh Chodesh Elul. You could get to Rosh Chodesh Elul if it's uh, Av is one Rosh Chodesh day. You get to 40 days. And then from Rosh Chodesh Elul until Yom Kippurim, Moshe Rabbeinu was on the mountain the second time to receive the Torah again. What the difference between the first reception and the second reception is like a, a, a problem. I mean, it's an issue. But from Rosh Chodesh Elul until, um, until Yom Kippurim is 40 days. It's also 40 days, right? 30 days Elul and 10 days Tishrei. Those middle days were not up on Harsinai doing, trying to get... Uh, no, he, did, he talked to God and davened, but he was not on the Harsinai. He was in the Machanet. Okay. So again, Rashi says, Shairei b'shivasa v'sivan Allah, nimtzai yomar ba'im b'shivasa v'tamos. Right? Okay. That's how it was. So Rashi, like, organizes it. He says, Boshesh Moshe. What does Boshesh mean? He came late. What do you mean he came late? He told them he would come in 40 days. But it depends how you count the 40 days. They counted wrong. They started counting from the minute that he left. Whereas they should have started counting from the first 24-hour day, which was the next day. So when the 40 days came, were done, according to the counting of the day Israel, Moshe didn't appear. He didn't come down from the mountain. So they thought, after all, he himself told them 40 days that there must be some terrible thing that happened. Must be some terrible happened. He said, okay, now Rashi says, Rashi says, we're on the uh, three, four, five, six, seven, the seventh line. The seventh line. Rashi says the following remarkable thing. He says, Asar, on the 16th day of Tammuz, Bahasatan Virbev et Olam. That's not just a metaphor. That means something. It was in Rashi, in Rashi, as in Chazal, as in Eov. Satan refers to something real. Now, I don't know what that means, what, what the real of it is, but it refers to something real. When you say Satan, you mean there is a Satan in the world that can have an effect, an influence on the situation. So the Satan came to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and said, well, no big deal, because he's rich and he's famous and he has good children and everybody's happy and he eats good meals. So of course he does mitzvot, etc. The Satan said, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu accepted the argument. That's the story in Eov. Eov Perik Aleph. 
Kodesh Baruch accepts the argument. He says, okay, well, I'm going to prove to you that Eov is a righteous person. I'll take away his children. I'll take away his food. I'll take away his money. I'll take away his wife. He'll have nothing, and he'll still be devoted to serving, serving God. So I think that when he says, when, when, when uh, Rashi says, what Rashi is telling us is that B'nai Yisrael, the people, even though they seem to be the ones who inst- they, they, they instituted this, uh, this whole activity, the activity of the, they, they weren't really responsible. There was an outside force that they had no control over, which forced them, provoked them, encouraged them to do this terrible thing and to build the uh, the uh, Egel Azahar. Rashi says again, He confused the entire world. That's what the Satan is able to do. What do you think about that? And the Satan created darkness and darkness. Meaning, Erbuvia is a word that means like tohu vavohu. It's all a mess. Everything is a tremendous mess. The ideas and the thinking, everything becomes confusing. Confused, Lomar Vadai made Moshe. And what was the the Satan who said it? Not B'nai Israel. B'nai Israel, they they wondered what happened. Here it was. We thought Moshe Rabbeinu would be here now. How come he's not here? That was B'nai Israel. Woke up the Satan, and the Satan said, according to Rashi, made Moshe. The way I read it, the way I read it is that Rashi is trying to figure out some way of minimizing the, the, the guilt, minimizing the guilt of, of, uh, 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 of the people. The people were not guilty. Who was guilty? The Satan was guilty. The Erbuvia was guilty. This terrible state was created from an outside factor. We call that outside factor. Rashi calls the outside factor Satan. Satan, now you could say that Satan is something within us, you know, we would like to do that, like in modernity. But according to this, it doesn't sound like that's what Rashi is saying. Rashi is saying that there's a tactile Satan, there's like a real thing in the world, like in Eov. There's a real Satan, and the real Satan is the one who caused all this problem. Okay? And he says, Lo Marvadai make Moshe. That Moshe Rabbeinu certainly has died. And therefore, the entire world, being B'nai Yisrael, was confused. He, the Satan, said to them, Moshe has died. After all, the six hours of the day, the 10 o'clock in the morning has come, and Moshe Rabbeinu has not yet come. And this is referenced in Shabbat. There's a, a long sugya about Matan Torah. 
ואי אפשר לומר שלא טעו אלא ביום המעונן בין קודם חצות בין לאחר חצות. It's not true as some have suggested that the confusion was about whether this, they, could, they, they knew it was um, before the middle of the day or after the middle of the day. It's like, like they, the day was cloudy, so they couldn't tell where the sun was. Was the sun, you know, the sun rises in the east and sets in the west? You may have heard that in the age of cell phone telephones. I mean, nobody has to know that. But there was a time when this was important information. So it's also true about the Chomets on Pesach. You know, if, if you can't see the sun, you don't know when Chatzot is. Right? If you don't know when Chatzot is, you might eat Chomets when it's also to eat Chomets. So that the Isser of eating Chomets was pushed back from Chatzot back to, well, 10 o'clock in the morning, whatever they tell you in the calendar, that you shouldn't eat, uh, shouldn't eat chametz because they were not confident about the ability that everybody would have to find Chatzot. So they, they moved it back. So he says, that's wrong. That's true, that's in the Gemara, but it's wrong. Sharei lo yarad Moshe. After all, Moshe Rabbeinu did not appear until the next day. So that Rashi takes care of a side point. That in the Gemara there's an opinion that what happened, the confusion that happened was about Chatzot. About the, is, it, is it time for Moshe Rabbeinu to come or not yet time for him to come? They were not, it was like a very, but Rashi didn't like that interpretation. So Rashi liked the idea that Moshe Rabbeinu was not going to come for a day. He wasn't going to come at 10 o'clock in the morning today, but he covered to, to the next day because he, he, he said 40 days, 24-hour days. Okay? Now listen to this. The Pasuk says, to go back to the Pasuk, they said, they went to Aaron, you see the second line? Kum ale asay lanu Elohim asay yelchulifanein. Kum asay lanu Elohim. Go and make for us Elohim. And then the next words are asay yelchulifaneinu. They will go before us. Now you know that the word Elohim, Elohim, is singular, even though it looks like it's plural. <laughs> no? You never heard this before? Breshit bara Elohim et hashamayim v'et ha'aretz. Who created the world? God singular. That happens to be the rock bottom foundation of Jewish theology. I want you to miss out on that. <laughs> but the word looks like a plural. Right? It looks like a plural. So there are many attempts at dealing with this anomalous situation. The Ibn Ezra in Breshit, the Ibn Ezra says, pluralis majestatus. He said, that's how kings talk about themselves. They talk in the plural. 
It's always we. Nase Adam Bitsalmenu Kidbudenu. Plural. Let us, plural, make it. Right? Other Mephoshim, Rashi says it's just a way of speaking about God. Like modern type of commentaries would come, would say it's left over from the world where they believed in the multiplicity of gods. But there's no doubt that the word looks like a plural. It looks like a plural. So Rashi says that in this phrase, they said to Aaron, Asei lanu Elohim. Asei lanu Elohim. Elohim here is not Kodesh, it's Chol. Asei lanu, make for us Elohim. So you could say that why is the word Elohim used? Why they say Elohim? Because it's lanu. It's a plural. It looks like it looks right. It looks like kind of thing, you know, that you would, that's how you would do it. Asei lanu Elohim. But Rashi says, uh, Rashi says, you see that word yelchu? That word yelchu is also plural, right? No? Yelech is singular, and yelchu is plural. So this is a problem because if you assume that Elohim is singular, that how come Yelchu is plural? So Rashi says, "Asher Yelchu lefanenu Elohut arbe ivulahem." Elohut arbe ivulahem. This I think. Well, I mean, the words mean they desired to be led by a multiplicity of gods, by many gods. You know, as Rashi says that that use of the plural by B'nai Yisrael, when they went to Aram, they said, make us a god. They said, make us gods. That's what they wanted. That's what they wanted. Now you know, because we've talked about it in the past, you know that Avram Avinu, his basic principle was one god. That was Avram Avinu's invention, right? That there's one god. Now when Malki Tzedek, Melech Shalem, came to Avram Avinu, what did he say? Forget what he said. Kel El Yon. What does Kel El Yon mean? The highest. It was above the gods. He didn't deny. He didn't deny that there are all kinds of gods. Who else didn't deny that there are all kinds of gods? The Rambam. The Ramban certainly not. But even the Rambam didn't deny. The Rambam says. The Rambam says. How did idolatry get started? How did idolatry get started? He says the people made a ta'ud gidola. They made this great error. What was the great error that, that people made? People said the moon is somehow responsible for tides. Oh, the moon is responsible for tides, right? Yes? yes. We all know that that's true. So Obviously, God, who created the world, this is the, what, what the earlier, you know, other Marishon and Chayin and Hevel and Shait, they said if God truly created the world, but he also seemed to give power 
to underlings, right? To like number two people in the created world or number two uh, objects in the created world had certain powers, like the sun had the power to give life and health, and the moon had the power over the tides. So isn't it reasonable to say, without compromising your position on one great God above all the other gods, isn't it reasonable to say that God wants us to be nice to the sun and to the moon? That was the argument that the Rambam saw, which led us in a backwards kind of development, according to Wellhausen, backwards. Meaning that first we believed in one God, and then we believed in a multiplicity of God. And if you read any, any uh, um, anthropologist, that's what they call them, you read the writings of anthropologists, it turns out that doesn't work that way. First, everybody believed that everything's a God. There's a God in a tree, and a God in, a, in the grass, and a God in the mountain. And, and then, little by little, they developed the idea that there should be a God above all gods. Right? But here, the Rambam's description is that the world started out with everybody believing that there's one God. One God superior to, above all, other, all others. And then they developed the idea that maybe that God wants us to serve the other gods. Chazal say that the Egyptians, that the Jews in Egypt were in Memtet Sharei Tum'ah. What do they mean? What's Memtet Sharei Tum'ah? It's a denial of the basic uh, tenets of Avram Avinu, right? There are two basic tenets. One is that there is a God above all the gods, and the other is Koneshamayim Va'aretz, that, that God has dominion over the created, over the created world. So here Rashi says, maybe I'm making a little bit too much out of it. Elohut arbei They desired, that's Rashi, the language of Rashi, they desired a world that they understood, which was a world of multiplicity of gods. Because if you needed water, you prayed to the God of water. If you needed bread, you could pray to the God of bread. And if you needed to be saved in some military action, you prayed to the God of military actions. And that made sense to them. That made, that's the world they lived in. The world they lived in that Moshe Rabbeinu asked them to kind of uh, uh, raise themselves out of. Get out of that world and get to the world of of the El El Yom, where there's one God above all the other, all the other gods. And here Rashi's telling me something of psychological significance. And the thing of psychological significance is, is uh, uh, one second. That that once Moshe Rabbeinu, with that difficult demand that he had, that that demand that was not that they were not able to, to satisfy so easily. One God. Just believe in one God. They had it in them. It was like in their DNA that, that, that the idea of many gods made sense to them. It made sense that God would divide up the power in the world to many gods. Just as God gave power to the sun and God gave power to the to the uh, moon, and, and in those days everybody agreed that there was power to the stars and the constellations, 
right? It was like a Torah. You would learn about the constellations. You would know things. You'd know things about what was going to happen, what the future would be. And so all of this, all of this was of great significance. The end of the past, so that's what Yelchulifanenu. Rashi says it's true. Elohim is a plural, and the Elchulifanenu is plural. Kizem Moshe Ha'ish. Kizem Moshe Ha'ish, Rashi says. Kimin demut Moshe her alem satan. So that, that again, according to Rashi, I'm just reading Rashi, I'm not re- this is like very uh, legitimate Torah learning. Rashi says, it's all the Satan. It's all the Satan. It's not like a Satan, the metaphoric Satan inside of us, like Yetzirah. I mean, here's the Satan, he's doing things. He's, he's working at it. He's not just... He's not just a bad influence or a bad inclination that I have, but he takes a picture. He's taking this picture of uh, of uh, Moshe Rabbeinu. Kamin debut Moshe her alehem satan. He had some kind of a picture of Moshe Rabbeinu, and he showed it to them. Like he's hanging up in the air, like a kind of way of saying that he's gone, that Moshe Rabbeinu is gone. And then the end of the pasuk he says is Asher Elanu Eretz Mitzrayim. He brought us out. He brought us up out of Mitzrayim. Lo yadanu mehayalo. The end of the pasuk. Asher Elanu Eretz Mitzrayim. Rashi. Vayam Morel Elanu Derek. He would tell us the way to go. Asher Naalava. So in other words, the point of Rashi. The people confused Moshe Rabbeinu with God, and now they need other gods because Moshe Rabbeinu is no longer, no longer with them. So I think that this this pasuk and the way Rashi reads it is is instructive, and I think that the question that Rashi has to answer is why did they get away with it? I mean, at the end of the parasha, at the end of the parasha, God says, "Okay, the Moshe Rabbeinu." You David, I mean, if you look at the last post, if we look at we we'll look at it here on, on the sheet. Vata anichali. Remember that God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, anichali, vayichar api b'chem b'chalei, and I will, I will uh, uh, angrily uh, uh, do away with them. Ve'sel chal v'goy gadol. What a what a, a, a opportunity that Moshe Rabbeinu received. I mean, like Moshe Rabbeinu was the only person left that God could depend on. But the beginning of the Pasuk catches Rashi's eye, so to speak. The beginning of the Pasuk, let me be. Imagine God saying to Moshe Rabbeinu, you, Moshe Rabbeinu, let me be. As though Moshe Rabbeinu, is God is worn out by the arguments that are presented. But look at the Rashi. Look at the Rashi. Thanks to the last line of the Rashi. Adayin lo shamanu shitpalel Moshe aleihem. We still have not heard the story. Continues in Paraklamatet. This is the beginning of Paraklamatet. Right, the first ten psukim, but it continues to Pasuklamatet thirty-three. Pasuklamatet is Adayin lo shamanu. And we haven't heard 
that Moshe Rabbeinu David. So what is God saying? Anichalik. Anichalik from what? Abba. Vuhu omer anichalik. Elakad patach lo petach vodiyo. Kan patach lo petach vodiyo. It's like Rashi says. It's, it's hard to even imagine what Rashi was thinking. Rashi says, so God sort of fainted. He said, like God would say, but if you daven, it'll have a good effect on things. Even though you haven't daven yet, but I want you to know, I want you to daven. I want you to daven to change the reality. But God says, let me be. But he opened up an opportunity for Moshe Rabbeinu. What was the opportunity? That we've talked about in the past. That Moshe Rabbeinu did not get a job. He was not the leader of B'nai Yisrael so that he could like move them logistically from one place to another. If God appointed Moshe Rabbeinu to bring them to Eretz Kinaan, that means nothing could stop him. Nothing could ever happen, good or bad, that would deny him his charge as the leader of, of B'nai Yisrael. He was not appointed he was not appointed to show them the way. He was appointed to bring them there. And so HaKadosh Baruch said, even in this terrible situation that we're in, with the chait of the Egel, etc., it doesn't matter. If you daven, you'll be, you'll be uh, vindicated. You will be vindicated. Go back to the text, Pasuk Beth. <laughs> Take off all your jewelry, nizamim, like nose rings, zahab, zahab, the ears, your wives, your children, your daughters, and bring it, bring it to me. Rashi, Rashi says, Rashi says, You see the Rashi? It's the next to the last narrow line. So Rashi says, in the name of Aharon, that of course they're not going to want to give me their jewelry, Shema Yitakeva Dabar, and he hoped that he would be able to put them off. And within that time, Moshe Rabbeinu would appear. And they didn't wait to Berkume Alatzman. So here again, you have some sort of justification for Aaron. After all, Aaron was not punished severely for what happened. He lived. He continued to live and he continued to be part of the conversation. Perku, you see, Lashon, see, okay, it doesn't matter. We'll leave out the language parts. Pasuk Yimel. Pasuk Yimel says, 
by a people of Aaron, exactly as Aaron did not want. They, they immediately did what, what he was told to do. Look at Pasuk Dalit. Like a, the tzura, he made the, he, he made it into an ego. Like it doesn't say that they asked for an ego. It doesn't say that the ego was a, that this calf was the most desirable image of God that you could imagine. So listen to what, to what Rashi says. He made it, he fashioned it with uh, etching, like an etching kind of process. Uh, you have to translate this in two different ways, Rashi says. That the word is Lashon Kshira. The show sudar, right? This uh, you tie something up with a with a sudar. A sudar is a shmata. Kimo, and then he quotes a couple of psukim. So let's skip that. Vasheni, the second way of understanding it is vayizel the show surah. He made it into a form. Becheret kli ulnot hatzorfit the 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 pen. That the that the silver workers use to etch out a four, etch out a four. Okay. She chortzim bechortzim v'tzurot b'zahav ke'ait sofer chorek of the yoke v'luchot o ban kesid b'kesid. Okay, it's like it's like a sofer or also you know etches. If you ever saw a sefer Torah, there is a. You know they make lines, make lines in the Sefer Torah mm -hmm. without ink. You just score, score the parchment. So that's that's uh, the tool that is used to score the parchment is what he is talking about. Okay. Then we're up to Egel, Egel Masicha. You see that? Egel Masicha is three, four, five, six, seven. Eight, the eighth wide line towards the end of the line. They took this gold, which was etched into some kind of form, and they threw it into the fire. Oh, another bad guy. The Arab Rav. Arab Rav, the people who came along with the Jews. So not not. In, in other words, uh, it may be that they thought that the Arab rock would be convinced to adopt the Jewish values, but they were not. They did not. And so they probably came along because they heard there's a lot of gold and silver. After all, the Egyptians gave all the gold and silver to the Jews as they ran away from Egypt. Now look at what it says. Bichashve, the, the magicians of the Arab rock, and they made, they made this golden calf with their using their magic. Right? No? So, so in, in other words, you have already another excuse for B'day Yisrael. 
that left it their own design. It would have taken them a long time to make this angel. They would have certainly had to work at it until after Moshe Rabbeinu appeared. And again, they would have gotten away with it. It was only the Arab Rav. It was only Arab, not even Aaron. Aaron tried to get them to delay, to put off making whatever they were making by saying, bring me your jewelry. And he assumed that they wouldn't bring the jewelry. So Rashi, Rashi goes on and says, look, it wasn't B'nai Yisrael. It was the Satan. And now he says he blames it on the Arab Rav. The Satan was the beginning. He convinced everybody that Moshe Rabbeinu was gone, gone from the world. And, and uh, uh, the Arab Rav is the one who actually produced, magically produced the, uh, the Egel Azad, which could have taken a long time. Could have also taken a long time to, to make. But it didn't. They did it, they did it right away. something's going to happen that'll be good right it won't be perfect but it'll be good Not today, Aaron said, 
Rashi says, Why did why did Akadish Bhagu say that to Bhagavad Rabbeinu? Go down from your great from your greatness, your greatness because of heart Sinai. It's like God says to Bhagavad Rabbeinu, you are no longer the leader of the people. What are you doing here? What are you doing at Har Sinai? You know, your job, you, you haven't done a job. You lost your job because your audience has disappeared. So Rashi says, "Be from the greatness. I only gave you this opportunity to go up at Har Sinai and to meet face to face with Hakadosh Baruch and get the Torah because there was a, a nation, because there were people. That there's no people. So so you better get out of here." At that time, the Gemara says, they put Moshe Rabbeinu to Cheren. What do you think he was putting to Cheren for? Moshe Rabbeinu, for being in the right place at the wrong time. You can't, you can't go, you can't break down the barrier. The barrier between Moshe Rabbeinu and God was Am Yisrael. If they cease to exist, that he was also in the wrong place. You can't be, you can't go into Kedusha unless there's a reason. There's always a reason. You have to give a korban. You have to seek a, 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 a tshuva for Am Yisrael. There's something. All of a sudden, Moshe Rabbeinu, he was, you, you think he came down from the mountain, he broke the Luchot, he was angry. He had a right to be angry. But that's what, that's what we see. That's what we see. You are Moshe Rabbeinu because you have an audience. Without the audience, you're not Moshe Rabbeinu. I mean, maybe you're a nice person, maybe you know things, maybe you're smart, but you're not Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe Rabbeinu is put into Cheren for being in the wrong place at the wrong time, all of a sudden. His world changed. You imagine why Moshe Rabbeinu was angry when he came down from the from the mountain. Shicheta v'chan, kashot, shicheta am lodemar el amcha, el amcha. So what is amcha? Shicheta amcha. Rashi says, what do you mean shicheta amcha? Shicheta am. That's what the Torah should have written. Who's amcha? Who's amcha? It's not the, the people of Moshe Rabbeinu. So he says, Listen, you yourself made the decision, you Moshe Rabbeinu, made the decision to bring them in and to uh, convert them, right? Means you did not ask for my advice. You did not ask, you did not turn to God to say, should we do this or not? But you had a svara. You said that you had a svara. Svaras are always good, right? You know, they're good for everybody. It's very good that the non-Jews, that the converts, should have an opportunity to connect to God. That they will be, uh, they'll cleave these converts to God. 
הם שיחטו והשחיתו. The first person who's really, the first Jew who's blamed. Oh, don't see the irony? Don't see like the tragedy of it for Moshe Rabbeinu. The first Jew who's blamed for the chet ha'egel is Moshe Rabbeinu. And when Moshe Rabbeinu, God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, Lech Rei, he says, he, he, he doesn't know what's going on. He he's up on the mountain. He's learning Torah day and night. And Akadosh Baruch Hu says to him, you just lost your job. You're not Moshe Rabbein. You're like, you're like running on, on an empty tank here. What are you doing? So he says, just by reading the Rashi for the 10th Psukim, I think you could get a slightly different attitude about uh, Sadly, a different attitude. Now, you know that at the end of Paraglamid Base, I've quoted the Pesach many times. But just one more point that I would like to make. Paraglamid yeah. Base. What is this? Torah Chayim? I'm just not used to it. I'm an old fashioned person. Here we are, here we are. Don't get nervous. It says, it says, <coughs> God says to Moshe at the end, God said, okay, we'll continue Jewish history. Like, we'll continue. But I want you to know that the punishment for the Chayta Eidel is ongoing. And whenever I have to, but this is Rashi explains, whenever I have to punish B'nai Yisrael, I'll give a little extra zex for the Chayta Egel. And it'll go on forever. So that Moshe, that B'nai Yisrael were not really forgiven, but they had a stay of execution. Right here, the, that's, that's what the Pesach says. The Pesach says that uh, at the end. Now in, in uh, respect to that, to that idea, if you turn the page, turn the page, that I want you to the Pesach, there if you bet right? Yeravam, Yeravam, the worst, the worst person of all times. Yeravam was the first king of Yisrael. Yisrael is the northern kingdom. After the death of Shlomo Amelech, I do this all the time. I must really like to do this. After the death of Shlomo Amelech, the country split into two: the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom was tied to the son of Shlomo Abelach, whose name was Rechavon. Rechavon. Right? And that's where the taxes uh, increased and the burden was oppressive. And that's why the northern kingdom broke away. The northern kingdom also had a king who was anointed by a navi which meant that he started off his life as a legitimate king, which itself is interesting. He was anointed by a Navi named Achiyashilomi. A real, a real Navi. That's, a, that's the story that is told. Yerava ben Nevat, Yerava ben Nevat felt that he would not last as an independent uh, enterprise 
if he could not establish a place that would compete with Yerushalayim. As long as Yerushalayim was the center of religious devotion, it did not matter that there would be a king of the northern, uh, the northern tribes who had their own king, because the people on the holidays and other days would move in the direction of Yerushalayim and would serve God in Yerushalayim. And so Rechavon felt that that was counterindicated against what he wanted, which was to create an independent northern kingdom. So you see the Pasuk, Vayome David. He had this problem. Who's Beit David? Beit David is Rechavon, the king of Yehuda. That's the south. Right? Atata Shuba Beit David. If Yaleha Amazela Sotzvachim, the Beit Hashem Yerushalayim, Visham Leha Amazela, Donahem, El Rechavon, El Yehuda, the Haraguni. He says, worse than that, if they all go to David in Yerushalayim, so they'll all become allied with Rechabam, and he'll come and he'll kill me. I won't be able to, to withstand the, this problem. Vishavu el Rechabam They will go back and declare their allegiance to Rechabam, the king of Yehuda. And so the king discussed this with his, with whoever he discusses things with. And he said, they made two eglezah, two golden calves. I'll say that again. And he made two golden calves. Must be a soul like that. He said to the people in the north, you don't have to go to your Shalayim anymore. You don't have to go to your Shalayim. Hinei Elohecha Yisrael. You remember that that uh, that pasuk? Hinei Elohecha Yisrael. You can't say that that uh, Yerabam didn't know Tanakh. He knew Chumash. Hinei Elohecha Yisrael. Hashem Elohecha Yisrael. Hashem Elohecha Yisrael. And one of these eglot he put in Beit El, which was in south. And uh, right, Dan is way to the north, right? Way to the north of, of what today is Eretz Israel. And this was, you know, a, a criminal act that he did. And so he saved the northern kingdom. He saved it for himself. He saved the northern kingdom himself. But why do we read these psukim now? Because another thought. It was after the Chaita Ega, and after the thousand people were killed in the Machanet, and after Akadosh Baruch said, Moshe Rabbeinu, you have to save them. And after it was somehow reported that the onus, the burden of the Chait was not on B'nai Yisrael, but either the Satan, the Erebrab, even Moshe Rabbeinu was, was, was responsible. After all that, in the memory of B'nai Yisrael, like what, what does hate mean? They go back, as Chazal always said, that, that a hate means you go back to a hate. 
you act in the manner that you you uh, you despise. You yourself said it's awful. All of you, but then you act that way. You act that way because it's it's in you. It's like you know your memory of what happened is fresh, and 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 so Rechavah, sorry, Yeravah, all he had to do was activate it. All he had to do was put up a golden calf in Beitel, and the people came running like crazy. In other words, whatever you say about the whatever terrible thing we could say about Yeravah Benavad. We have to agree that Yodea at Nefesh Behemto, he knew the people. He knew what would get them. He knew it would, they didn't vote on it. They didn't have a committee that, uh, of the people coming and saying, we want a golden calf. He knew they wanted the golden calf. He knew they wanted the golden calf, but he knew they would beat Yerushalayim. Because what they had in Yerushalayim, nothing. That was the whole point. The whole point that there was that you, you didn't go into the Kodesh Kadashim. Right? You didn't see what you couldn't see. I mean that was the that was the point. That was the difficulty that Am Yisrael had, that the people had, which enabled again the Satan and the Arab Rab and Mojabu even with the Arab Rab to uh, to deny that. To deny that this, what seems to us to be the simplest of all things, that you believe in one God, that, that's not visible. I mean, to us, that's, that's, that's obvious. It's not even something that anybody would ask about. But the story behind the story of the Egel Azar, to my, in my opinion, is this idea of, of one God versus a multiplicity of gods. And the thing you have to understand is that you could believe in one God and in the multiplicity of gods at the same time. That's what the Rambam says. You can, because believing in one God just means there's an exalted God. But, but we don't see the world in that way. We see the world as being made up of different authorities and different things happening so that there is, there is sometimes it's, it's the, the, the ocean that is the problem. Sometimes the earthquake is a problem. Sometimes the sun is the issue. And sometimes the moon is an issue. So it's very easy for us to create a world in which the multiplicity of gods plays a role. Right? And that was the issue. That was the issue, I think, of the Egyptians. Have a good job. Thank you.